Welcome into another edition of the Deep Slam Podcast presented by Xfinity. I'm your host, D.P. Sidhu. So glad you could join us. It's week four. The Texans are hosting the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, there will be fans. Not a lot of fans, but 20% capacity, which is about 13,300. I'm actually really looking forward to that because week one with an empty stadium was very, very strange. So I'll take any fans. I'll take two fans. I'll take three fans. I'll take 13,300 fans. And I hope you'll enjoy this podcast because we have got Colin Gillespie, fullback, who heading into year two, Bill O'Brien said, is going to have a more prominent role on this offense. I'll talk to him about that as well as he won an Emmy, and or I guess he would say his the video team won an Emmy up there in a college station for a documentary they put together called Gilly, which chronicles his path in football from growing up in Katy, Texas, to becoming the 12th man at Texas A&M, to getting drafted by the Houston Texans. And it's it's a really cool documentary. We, we go behind the scenes. And I talked to him a little bit about what that was like, having the cameras follow him around, and several big moments in that documentary that I think would come as a surprise to a lot of fans, maybe casual fans, maybe A&M fans know all this stuff about Gilly, but... I still thought it was really insightful, and so we get a chance to talk to him. He's he's a lot of fun to sit down with. Also, you know, the Vikings are in town, so of course I sat down with one of my friends in the league, uh, Eric Smith. He's with the Minnesota Vikings. He's a team reporter, and we caught up on why this Vikings team is 0-3, because if you look offensively at their numbers, they have put up some points. They've put up about 31 points um, in two of their three games, but still could not come away with a win. They played the Tennessee Titans. On Sunday, it looked like they were going to pull a win out there. They did not. And, of course, you've probably seen the news with the fallout with the Titans getting COVID-positive mm-hmm. tests. So uh, the, the the Vikings were also, they had to shut down their facility for about 48 hours as they did some contact tracing and tested their players. But so far, so good. The only game that was affected was the Steelers-Titans game on Sunday, which it's been rescheduled to a later date this season. But the Texans-Vikings are still on. This podcast, of course, is still on. It's brought to you by Xfinity. Xfinity XY gives you the speed, coverage, control, and security you need for the ultimate in-home Wi-Fi experience. Score with internet that's more than just fast. Xfinity, proud partner of the Houston Texans and proud partner of this Deep Slant podcast. So let's get right into it. Let's chat with Colin Gillespie, fullback for your Houston Texans. Year two fullback and special teams phenom. Colin, how's it going? Year two for you. I haven't had a chance to really catch up with you much this off season, but here you are. How has this season been going for you, especially now that you're not a rookie anymore? It's definitely great to not be a rookie. It, uh, it comes with a little more, a little more privilege, a little bit uh, longer of a leash. But, um, you know, the, the mindset really hasn't changed. Every day I'm here to earn my job, and I'm just really trying to do anything I can to uh, keep myself on the field and help this team in any way possible. Well, this offseason, Bill O'Brien said he had a lot of high praise for you. And he said that what you bring to this offense, the versatility that you bring, with all that, perhaps you may earn a more prominent role on offense this year, that we may see you in, in more personnel groupings just because of all the different things you can do on the field. I would imagine that is exciting to hear when you learned of this heading into year two. Yeah, it's definitely um... – it's always it's always good to hear the uh, you know head coach talk good about you, of course. But um, it's definitely been um, in, in training camp. I was sidelined for a little bit, but uh, you know starting starting to work back in now and, and starting to work back in with the offense um, again. Uh, you know I, I I take reps anywhere I can get them and 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 uh, you know want to be as you know a part of this offense as much as I can. Um, but 
at the end of the day, it's, it's just about doing my job and doing what's asked of me. But, but like you said, um, I, I heard that as well. And, and it's always good to hear uh, the head guy talking good about you. So. Well, he said you learned a lot your rookie year. And, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that you really only – this is only your third year playing fullback. You played your final year at A&M and then obviously last year. But when you go from college football to the pros and playing fullback, what, was, what do you think was the steepest part of the learning curve for you? What was the toughest thing for you to really adjust to? Really just kind of learning everything um, going on around me, uh, learning the offense as a whole and not just, you know, specifically what I was doing. My, my last year at – at A&M, I kind of had to memorize, you know, what I was doing on each specific play and not really know what was going on around me. Um, I kind of had to hit the ground running. But, you know, going into last year, then having another offseason under my belt and really getting to learn the offense better, um, you definitely feel more comfortable in a fullback role and feel more comfortable, um, you know, of, of what's going on around you. And, and when you know, you know, what, what, what the offensive line's doing, what the quarterback's doing, what the running back's seeing, um, it's easier to be on the same page and, and – uh, you know, really flow better with the offense. Yeah, and you mentioned the offseason and building some chemistry with the old linemen. I know that you worked out at, uh, was it Martin's Gym, Martin's Fitness? <laughs> Martin, Martin with Fitness, Nick Martin. Yeah. Uh, What was that like working out with a bunch of old linemen? Was that part of your offseason plan was just to work out with the big guys? Definitely not part of my offseason plan. Um, but it ended up working out. I, I got really strong. Um, obviously, when, when you're in the gym with, uh, Nick Martin, Max Sharping were the were the two guys I generally worked out with every day. It's uh, you know they're they're obviously a lot bigger than me, so but I'm not going to be the guy who's not putting the weight on the bar. So you're kind of forced to try and use their weights and keep up with them. And so um, it was hard at first, but I kind of started to find my stride and and really start to uh, get stronger. So I'm not necessarily against doing it again next year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the Martin if Martin's Fitness is open for business, I. I, think I, I will show customer. up. Not, oh, okay. Know, good. I'll be, I'll be knocking on the door at 7 a.m. Hey, open up the garage. <laughs> good to know. You know where he lives, so that helps. Uh, everyone knows your story about the 12th man. Maybe you're sick of talking about it. I'm never sick of hearing about it. It's such a great, great story. And I think a lot of people need to know that you are now an Emmy winner because the documentary Gilly won a Lone Star Emmy Award. Congratulations, first and foremost, on that. It's, it was, I mean, sure, you can claim that I won an Emmy. Um, I don't think I did too much. Um, I think it, the Emmy definitely goes to Texas Filmworks um, and Texags as well. And then um, one of the main producers in Clay Taylor, um, he worked with me every day, um, really was kind of like his, his project baby because he really wanted to make it well. He started at a doing social media stuff for A&M and, and, and um, doing the Pulse, which I think as well won an Emmy Award. So um, I knew he was going to do a good job with it. Um, knowing my story was in his hands. I was really excited to see the finished product. And, and it honestly turned out better than I could imagine. Um, and then and now, I guess I can add that to my resume. I am an Emmy Award winner. But again, uh, you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't me. I wasn't acting. I was just kind of up there talking on screen. Um, I think it goes... Goes out to Clay, Texas Filmworks, and Tex Ags, um, and, and all the people involved in making that film. It, it was they did a great job. Yeah, how did they? How did it even come about? Because I do remember when the Texans drafted you, you were sitting there with all your family and friends, and there were a lot of cameras. And I thought this is not your normal camera setup. Yeah, there were some beautiful professional photos, and I found out later that they were filming a documentary on you. But it seems mm -hmm. like it had been going on a while, so. When did they first approach you? At what point in your career did they did the, the filming and all that start? Um, it started like around 
like when I was in combine training, um, I, they had contacted my dad and um, a couple of the guys who worked at Texags contacted me and like, hey, this is something we are interested in doing. So going forward, once I kind of went back to A&M for Pro Day, they uh, really started all the filming right there because I was there for about two weeks doing workouts and, and other stuff. So I went back and they started getting, you know, like B-roll footage there and then um, really kind of did a lot of the interviews leading up to the draft. And then they were there at the draft, which is, like you said, um, you know, your typical seventh round pick or possible free agent doesn't normally have cameras and all types of stuff going on at the party. So it was, uh, it was a little different. Um, but and in, in the end, I'm glad they were there to document it all. You know, it was, it was a great day and, and I'm glad that they got to capture it all on film and, and kind of, um, you know, really, really put my story together. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's great that other people are watching it, but, but just for me, you know, to show my, future family one day, you know, this is what I did, or hopefully I'm not still living in the past, but maybe, um, you know, I can show them, but, uh, no. So they, so they filmed up to there and then they came into the facility after, um, one day over the summer and, and did, got a little bit more footage, but it was a really cool process and, and getting to see, um, really getting to see how a, a film like that is made of all the things you do talk about and all the things they film and then it gets compressed down into 20 minutes and what they do put in and don't put in. It was kind of cool to see the behind the scenes look of it. Did you enjoy the whole process? Was it, was it fun? Some people like the cameras following them around and other people get kind of annoyed by it, but you seem so comfortable talking. Um, <laughs> I mean, you see, he seems so, I mean, that's, I, I feel like you are a very outgoing person, but the camera loves me. No, did you, li did uh, you <laughs> like the, was it, was it fun? Was it, did it get old after a while? Because you, you were like in a really crazy time in your life preparing for the NFL draft. I mean, I've, I've never really been, been shy around cameras. Um, normally if someone puts a camera in my face, I'm, I'm going to do or say something stupid. So it wasn't, wasn't too big of a deal. And, and it really helped that the, the people who were filming me and conducting the interviews, um, you know, I had known for a really long time. So they were really able to capture, you know, who I am as a person and being able to put funny stuff in there. Um, and it wasn't, there wasn't an awkwardness, which sometimes whenever you're, you're dealing with people you don't really know who are getting you on camera for the first time, you can't really express your personality or, or show who you really are. So I mean, it was definitely a little bit nerve wracking knowing that nerve wracking, knowing that I was on draft day, that if I didn't get drafted, that, you know, that was going to be on camera too. So I was going to have to, you know, kind of control myself and keep it together. And, and they were going to get all that on film, but it, it ended up working out. And, and like I said, uh, the people who did it just did such a good job and, um, really, I was glad to be able to share that experience with them and, and everyone who's watched it. There were two parts that I really liked. There was one where I think you were doing a radio interview with Billy Lucci and you told him to take out. The, and as, as a radio host, we go through this sometimes where players like, yeah. uh, I don't I didn't like how I said that. And you told the part that you told him to take out. Do you remember that you said take out the part yeah. where you were <laughs> saying to be to go to the Houston Texans would be a dream come true because you just didn't want to seem like you had all your eggs correct in I didn't want another team to see that interview and be like oh so like you didn't want to play for us <laughs> I mean, obviously I would have been happy anywhere I went but you know growing up in Houston uh, going to Texans games my entire life and, and being a fan of the organization um, I mean you can't you can't help but you know root, root to go play for your hometown team but that was the point I was like yo I don't I don't know when this is being released <laughs> I don't know who's gonna hear this let's go ahead and cut that uh cut that from the uh, interview I love I that like, they three days before draft day. Oh, but I love that they put that in there because when you know the whole story and how it ends, it just makes it, it just seems so authentic, your genuine excitement for coming to Houston. The other part I loved, and I think this should be a spinoff documentary, um, is your mom. 
and all huh. the stories that she tells because she was talking about how you were redshirted for kindergarten because she had to uh, stay back. I mean, she even... had so many great stories. I, I think the camera really does love your mom. Yeah, I had multiple role. people. I had so many people hit me and like, oh, well, your mom was talking. Like, I started crying. I was just like, oh, she was playing, y'all. No, <laughs> I love my mom. She's a she's a sweet woman. She she cares about me and, and my little brother more than anyone else in this world. We're her, we're her babies, as she calls us. So um, she's got tons of things to say. Um, some good, <laughs> some bad. Um, maybe, maybe we can get her on. Y'all can interview her sometime. Uh, but she's a uh, she's a great lady. Um, I go to everything. I probably share too much with her um, in my life. She has to tell me to stop talking sometimes, but um, yeah, pretty much everything she says is, is, is gold. I, I mean, I thought it was so great cause she's telling all these jokes about you, but when it came down to it, she's the one that wanted you to stick to it because that was one question I had for you. I actually watched the whole documentary um, after it won because I'd seen, I'd seen clips of it, but mm -hmm. you know, to think that you're the 12th man, you know, where is this going to end? I, I mean, I remember watching you in the Gator Bowl when you scored the touchdown and you were so happy. And at that point, did you think this could be the last time I ever play football? I mean, was that going through your head or it seems like after watching it, you thought that there was very much a real possibility that you could work towards getting yourself a, a job in the NFL. For sure. Um, I definitely treated that game like it was going to be my last game, but um, you know, at to, up to that point, you know, the NCAA allows you to talk with agents, um, you know, leading up to the season and kind of figuring out what's going to go on. Um, after, really, I had no thoughts um, whatsoever about playing in the NFL until really after like my fourth year, my red shirt junior season, I guess. Um, after that, some coaches had approached me and like, hey, like you might have a shot. Um, and then going to my senior year, that was kind of the, the approach I took, that this was the career path I was going to try and pursue. But at, uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's still the NFL. It's the most competitive business in the world. So I just tried to do what I could. And I, after I scored the touchdown, they, they told me to go back in and, and do the last kickoff. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I think my last play of college football and possibly ever should be a touchdown. Um, I knew I was going to train and, and get ready for the draft. Um, I didn't know if I was going to get drafted or if I was going to play. I figured I'd probably get an invite to training camp. But even even that's uh, still still a tough road to, to go down. So I had a little bit of, of knowledge about what was going on, but for the most part, it was just like ride it out and, and, and play it like it's my last play. So that's what – if that was my last play of football, uh, I would have been able to live with that. Well, I, I know when you were drafted, Bill O'Brien, I mean, that was one of the things that he really liked about you was your story, your perseverance. It seems very much like that's what they like to see as part of this Houston Texans locker room, guys that have sort of – overcome adversity or just been the underdog and fought through it and, and really have a good work ethic. Have you ever shared the story with, I mean, do, do the guys in the locker room know the story? I know a lot of guys are not from Texas. Um, <laughs> do they all know? I mean, that I know JJ knew because he, he tweeted you afterwards and said mm -hmm. uh, from one fellow walk on to another, but is, is that something that uh, you've gotten to share with your, your teammates? Probably too often. Um, <laughs> oh, I, like to talk a, I like to talk a lot. So um, they, uh, They've, they've more or less heard about it three, four, eight times. Um, but um, I think some guys know, some guys don't. It, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, everyone has an amazing story to, to get where they're at. Um, as much as you want to be unique, want to be special, everyone in the NFL is unique and special in their own way. So I think, I think they all know that I was the 12th man. Co Coach O'Brien lets them 
lets them know sometimes we, that we've got the, we've got the 12th man. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, whether they know what that means or not, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it was, it was a, it was a great honor and, um, it, it I, it made college better than I could have ever imagined it really. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> well, it's, it's such a great story. And I think that you should tell coach O'Brien to also refer to you as an Emmy award winning. <laughs> All right. Next time, next time I'll next let time, him know. Next time, Colin, see, you got to see how that. he feels about me letting him know that I'm an Emmy award <laughs> I'm sure he'll love that. I'm sure he would love to introduce you like that. I'm sure he would love nothing more than that. Well, okay. So For what sure. about, you know, 2020 year two in the NFL, you're more comfortable now. You may be doing more things on offense. Obviously you do a lot on special teams. What about for yourself? What what is what what are some goals or things that you can share with us that that are things that you really want to get better at or that you're working on for yourself this year? My 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 goals are, are pretty simple. You know, help help the team win. Um, no no one likes losing, and um, obviously we've started off a little bit bumpy here, but um, I'm just doing everything in my power to help this team win. Um, obviously, I want to be a leader and 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 have a big of impact on the field as I can on special teams. And then any shot I get on offense to, to go out there and, and try and make plays and, and uh, you know, show that I can, um, you know, play offense as well. Really, my goals are just to, to do what's asked of me to do my job and um, help this team in any way possible. It's not, I don't, I mean, obviously I've got like my personal goals of, of, of what I want to achieve, but at, at the end of the day, um, it's a team sport and there's, you know, 55 guys on a roster now and it's about all working together towards one goal. So that's who I am. That's, uh, you know, what I'll be for as long as I play in the NFL. Hopefully it's for a very long time, but, uh, you know, it's really just, just help this team win in any way possible. Yeah. Like they said in the documentary, there's more chapters to be written in the story, hopefully. So hopefully a lot, hopefully a lot, hopefully it's a really thick, thick book. But anyway, I just, (laughs) congrats on the Emmy. Um, you can see it. It's called Gilly. I believe it's on texags.com. And uh, best of luck to you, Colin, for the rest of the 2020 season. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. It was a pleasure as well. It was great catching up with Colin Gillespie. And if you get a chance, go watch the documentary Gilly if you can. It's, it is on texags.com. And it's about 20-some minutes, 22 minutes. But, uh, you know, it's, it's great. I think, uh, you know, you'll get a real good sense of who he is and his family and everything he went through. I, of course, you know, I, I knew of, of him and watched him throughout A&M. But I still had a lot of questions as to, um, you know, what, what, what his mindset was heading into the NFL. And so it's, it's just a great story. So more chapters to be written there. And more chapters to be written for the Houston Texans as they look to get their first win on Sunday. The Vikings look to get their first win. One of these teams is going to finally get their first win of 2020. And I had a chance to catch up with Eric Smith. He works for the Minnesota Vikings. He's their team reporter. And it's been a lot of uh, a lot of craziness in that building. But we really just focused on talking about that Vikings team, that offense, that defense. Gary Kubiak's back in town. Um, and what, uh, you know, what has gone wrong for them these first three games and what they need to do to, to really take that next step and, and get a win. So here he is on the Deep Slant Podcast presented by Xfinity, Eric Smith, team reporter for the Vikings. Welcome in, Eric. Such a weird start to the season already. Uh, but these two teams sitting at 0-3, obviously not where they wanted or expected to be heading into week four. But here we are. How's it going, Eric? It's going good, DP. How are you? I'm I'm okay. I think um, after Sunday, one of us will be much happier. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say I hope it's me. But uh, let's talk about this Minnesota Vikings team because it's a team that we don't face too often. They've put up some pretty impressive offensive numbers, especially in that week three loss. Uh, we're rooting for the Vikings. They're playing the Titans. 
but 30 or more points in two of their three losses. What's been ailing the Vikings through this slow start to the season? And, and what are the positives? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned slow start because that's actually been the Vikings kryptonite so far. And it's been a slow start in the first half. So entering, entering week three, entering the, the game against the Titans, the Vikings had a, a point differential of minus 31 in the second quarter. And they just really couldn't get out of their own way. They, had, they took a safety in back-to-back weeks. Um, you know, they had turnovers and penalties. And um, they really just didn't give themselves a chance with kind of poor performances in the second quarter. And as a result, they trailed at halftime and kind of had to play catch-up, which is kind of why the, the point totals were a little inflated in the second half. And then Sunday against the Titans, we actually played well in the first half and had a 17-9 to lead at the break. But it was kind of the opposite, and it was the fourth quarter that doomed us. And we had a five-point lead with six and a half minutes to go, and both sides of the ball couldn't, couldn't close it out. The offense couldn't add any points or, or kind of drain the clock, and the defense couldn't make a stop, and the Titans kicked two late, late and long field goals, and so we lost by one. Um, some positives, um, you know, it was a big game for Justin Jefferson in week three, and that was good to see. And then uh, Dalvin Cook, our running back, who just signed an extension, has looked good all season. Um, and then on defense, uh, a player that you guys might know well is Unique Ngakwe, who we, who we got in a trade from Jacksonville just before the season. Uh, he's had a strip sack in, in back-to-back games, so it seems like he's settling in pretty well. Yeah, the Texans facing a lot of their uh, former divisional opponents on defense this year, strangely enough. Uh, Kirk Cousins, let's talk about him because it's hard not to think about the Vikings and not think about their quarterback. Uh, five touchdowns, six interceptions so far through 2020. He had only six interceptions for all of 2019. What's been ailing Kirk Cousins, and uh, what does he need to do to really turn things around and, and take that next step? It's it's surprising that that he already has six interceptions. Like you said, he had that last year in, in, in 15 games that he started. You know, some of it's been a little bit of bad luck where the ball has hit off his receiver's hands and kind of bounced right to the defense. Um you know, like I mentioned earlier, we've trailed a lot so far this season. So we've kind of had to try to throw it down the field and make some plays. And that's something that he usually doesn't do. We're kind of forced the ball. And um, because we've trailed and we've needed to pass the ball a lot more than we would like to, the pressure's kind of been on Kirk to, to make a play. And, you know, when the defense knows you're passing, they're, they're kind of ready for that. Um, and at the end of Sunday's game against the Titans, he kind of threw one up. I think it was fourth and 24 and just kind of needed to chuck it up and hope to get a first down. And, and that pass was intercepted. So some of them have been a little bit fluky. Some of them have been bad throws by Kirk. But, yeah, the six picks are surprising. And, you know, that, that probably needs to change if the offense wants to be more consistent and if the team wants to, to get a win on, on Sunday. Yeah, you mentioned Dalvin Cook, who's really off to a hot start, signed that contract extension. He currently ranks third in the NFL in rushing yards, got 294 yards through the first three games, averaging 6.1 yards per carry, four rushing touchdowns. It's quite impressive what Cook's been able to do so far. When he's involved, how does he make that Vikings offense more explosive? He's probably, you know, other than what we saw from Justin Jefferson Sunday, he's probably the most explosive offensive player that we have. And we've seen that now for over a season. He, he made his first Pro Bowl last year in 2019. He had over 1,100 rushing yards and 16 rushing touchdowns, or sorry, 13 rushing touchdowns. So he's proven when healthy he can be a playmaker. And that hot start, as you mentioned, 
has been the the focal point now. So the way the Vikings have kind of built their offense is that they want to run the ball and kind of build off play action passes to to move down the field. And Dalvin is is the main focal point of that, right? Because he's the main running back. So when he gets going, that helps Kirk Cousins as well with with, with kind of setting up the play action passes. So Dalvin is is looked at as almost like the face of the offense and perhaps maybe the face of the franchise right now. And and he's played well. Um, you know, he had a career game on Sunday with, you know, 100 and I think it was 181 rushing yards, uh, which was the career best. And he had a pair of 39-yard runs. And he really kind of took control of the game. It was just unfortunate that the Vikings couldn't pull out a win. You mentioned Justin Jefferson a few times. I'm going to get to him in a second. But I think the big offseason story, obviously, was trading away Stephon Diggs, who was such a huge part of that receiving core. How How did the Vikings sort of make up for that loss? Just give me sort of an overall view of what they did to make up for him and and how do you replace a guy like Diggs? Yeah, they drafted Jefferson. You know, he was a first round pick uh with the pick that they got from uh from the Bills and in that trade with Diggs. Um, you know, Adam Thielen is still here, so he's he's looked at as, as the number one guy. But you know, I mentioned the Vikings want to run the ball a lot. We also rely heavily on our tight ends and we like to go two and three tight end sets and really kind of go heavy and kind of, you know, work in that run play action, as I said before. But the tight ends haven't gotten too involved this year, and that's been surprising too. Um, you know, Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith have been targeted a few times, and Rudolph had a touchdown catch Sunday, but it's not the production you would expect. So hopefully that can change going forward to kind of help offset the loss of digs. Justin Jefferson, I mean, as a rookie, he's really making a name for himself. 175 yards receiving um, so far, and that huge 71-yard touchdown against the Titans. What's Jefferson's role in the offense look like? I mean, we all thought it was going to be a tough year for rookies, but, you know, he might be proving people wrong. How does he sort of complement what Thielen brings to the game? Yeah, I think what we saw on Sunday was a breakout game for Jefferson, and not just really in his stats, you know, seven catches for 175 and a touchdown. That, that Those numbers kind of speak for themselves. But he played – most of the game, I think his snap count was about an 80% or so. And, and he started for the first time this season. He had kind of been looked at as the number three guy through the first two games and had, uh, I think, five total receptions through two games. So we had kind of worked him along and brought him along slowly. But, you know, we started 0-2 and the offense kind of needed a jolt. And our offensive coaches were like, you know, we feel he's ready. Let's, let's start him on Sunday and see how he does. And, and he broke out. He had a great game. You know, and, and I think – you know, you obviously can't expect 175 yards in a score every game, but it just showed that that potential is, is there. And, you know, his role now is clearly the number two receiver, you know, and potentially 1A, 1B with Thielen, which is what we had with Diggs for so long. And what's nice about Jefferson is that he can line up all over the field. He's not just a slot guy, not just an outside guy. Um, I saw a tweet the other day where his route tree and where he lined up, he was, he was all over the place. And that kind of keeps the defense guessing, and we kind of saw that on Sunday. Well, two of the Texans' former coaches, really the only two coaches in in Texans history, will be at NRG Stadium on Sunday. Dom Capers, who's uh, on the defensive uh, coaching staff, and then Gary Kubiak, who is uh, the play caller offensive coordinator. He'll be back um, at NRG Stadium. So uh, what is it like having Kubes there as offensive coordinator? Uh, You know, he's on that staff last year, but how has that offense changed now that he's in charge and, and calling the plays? Yeah, first off, Gary's a great guy. I'm, I'm sure if you've had any interaction with him, he's a 
he's a, he's a great guy. He's a, he has those Texas roots and he's just great to talk to. Um, but the offense hasn't changed too much since Kevin Stefanski left and is now the head coach of the Browns. The way it worked in 2019 is that Stefanski was the offensive coordinator and Gary was like a senior offensive advisor. So he kind of was looked at as like a mentor for Kevin in his first year as a play caller. And, you know, both had heavy input. It was Ke- Kevin who called the plays, but, you know, why wouldn't you want Gary kind of as your right-hand man? He's got, he's got four total Super Bowls. And when Kevin left and Gary was promoted, not much has changed. The offense kind of looks the same. You know, Gary had a, a high influence last year and, He's just calling plays now, and, and, you know, it's pretty similar. All right. Well, let's talk about this Vikings defense because it's generally been pretty good under Mike Zimmer, but really they've struggled this year, allowing uh, about an average of 34 points per game and 440 yards per game on average. What's the biggest area or need for concern uh, for the Vikings defense? You mentioned Yannick Ngakwe. He's there now, too. You know, what's it going to take for the defense to get things turned around? Yeah, I think we're seeing some signs of progress from the defense, even though the numbers don't look great. You know, like you said, we've allowed over 1,300 yards and over 100 points so far, and that's, and that's not what, what, the, what Coach Zimmer is used to, not what you know, the veterans on the Vikings defense is used to around here. I mean, we've, we've had a good run for the last five or six years. But this year was always going to be a little bit different because of the roster turnover. I mean, I think we lost somewhere around – nine players on defense and a few of those were starters and the majority of those came at cornerback we lost Xavier Rhodes and and Trey Wayne to McKenzie Alexander so we brought in you know a couple draft picks there and and first rounder Jeff Gladney and third rounder Cameron Dantzler and had a few other young cornerbacks you know left over but the group the cornerback group is just young I mean Mike Hughes is the oldest player there and he's 23 years old and that's a lot to ask of someone that young to be looked at as the veteran of that group um, and because of that, Coach Zimmer has said, you know, the Vikings have a great safety tandem in Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. And those guys are kind of being relied on to help out the young corners on the back end. Well, if they are being focused on that, it's kind of tough to focus on the, on the defensive front and kind of help out the run game. So it's almost like a catch-22. That's the phrase that Coach Zimmer used after Sunday's game. You know, at this point, he has to kind of pick – did he help the young corners and pass in the passing game, or did he kind of bring everyone up and help against the run? So it's been a, a mixed bag so far with how the defense has performed. But with so many young guys, especially at corner and new faces, you know, the hope is that the, the whole unit just kind of progresses as the season goes along. Well, I was going to ask you about rookies and, and new faces that have been big contributors in 2020. It sounds like you've really got a long list to choose from. But if you had to, to narrow it down here through just the first few weeks of the season, who's Who's really stood out to you? Yeah, I, I won't say Jefferson because we talked about Obvious, him. Obvious, yeah. <laughs> and he's been a, a big one. And I won't say Dantzler either because while he started in week one, he didn't play the last two weeks with, with, with an injury. So I'm actually going to go with the other first-round pick that we had, and that's cornerback Jeff Gladney. He started the last two weeks. And I think he looks fine. And, you know, it, like we said, it, with, with how weird this year has been and no real offseason, you know, a virtual offseason, and kind of happened to do a, a weird training camp. You know, he's shown me flat that, that he's going to be a good player. And, you know, we, we maybe don't see it right now. Maybe he's not a star right now. But I saw some plays on Sunday against the Titans where he really gets it and he, and he stood out. And so that's the hope, like I said, that, that he progresses and, you know, that he just keeps growing. And by the end of the year and in the future, 
know, the Vikings have a reliable starter at cornerback. All right, good stuff. Looking forward to the matchup. Texans back at home, allowing fans for the first game of 2020. Should be a good matchup. Uh, Vikings, Texans on Sunday kickoff at noon. That's going to do it for this week's Enemy Sideline. Eric, thank you so much for the time and look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, DP. Thanks for having me. All right, the game is on Sunday at NRG Stadium. Kickoff is at noon on Fox and Sports Radio 610. Be sure to download the Houston Texans mobile app because we have exclusive game day content right there. Updated if you already have it, because this year also there is the arcade presented by Reliance, so you can win prizes too while you watch. It's win-win. Win-win for everyone. Also, before the game, Drew Doherty and I will be hosting Texans Unlimited presented by Verizon. That is also available to watch on the app or on Facebook or on Twitter or on YouTube. It's it's pretty much everywhere. But, uh, you know, we'll show you a live look at the field as the players warm up. We'll bring you the top stories. We'll bring you the inactives, who's in, who's out for the Houston Texans. We'll catch up with John Harris. We'll answer fan questions. We'll check in with Mark Vandermeer, who will be calling the game. Uh, it's a pretty busy show. It's There's a lot happening there. So we'll be doing that from inside NRG Stadium somewhere. We'll be located somewhere in the stadium. Uh, usually I used to be on the field, but this year we've we found uh, other places that we can shoot where you can still see the field. We've got cameras on the field, but Drew and I will be reporting from somewhere in the stadium. And I have a feeling it's somewhere that Drew is often perched at during home games. So anyway, stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe out there. And as always, go Texans.